Welcome to the Schoolhouse Podcast. Listen, I am excited about today. Today, I have the honor of interviewing Darren. And before I get started, I would like to say our mission, and our mission is to provide a safe place for educators. So let's go ahead and get into it. How you feeling today, Darren? Hey, I'm doing really good, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Man. I like your background in the back. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Just sitting here in the corner of my office. That's pretty nice. I like it. My video is flaring up. I don't know why it's catching me late. Do you see it? No, huh? Video- it looks good. Oh, I don't know why it seems like it's flaring up. I don't know. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into it, Darren. So let's um, tell the viewers about you, um, your credentials, mm-hmm. where you grew up, things like that, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so Dr. Darren Peppard, um, 26 years in public education and uh, just uh, just stepped out of public education into what I do now, um, working uh, at Road to Awesome. And I'll talk more about that uh, in a little bit. But um, I'm, I'm actually I'm a central Wyoming kid. So you see you see my Wyoming license plate here. Um, that's where I grew up and uh, went to school at the University of Wyoming. Um, actually went and taught um, in Arizona, uh, spent 11 years in uh, northwest Arizona, a little town called Kingman, that uh, unless you've driven between Phoenix and Las Vegas, you have no reason to know where Kingman is. Um, but it's right halfway between the two. And I taught um, at the junior high school level. Uh, I was a science teacher at the junior high school level for five years and then six years teaching at the high school level um, in the same community. I was a head basketball coach. I was a head tennis coach. Um Loved our time there and then came back to our home state, uh, our home state of Wyoming, where uh, first I was an assistant principal and then ultimately became the principal um, at Rock Springs High School, which is in the southwest part of the state. Um, After 11 amazing years at Rock Springs High, um, I was given the opportunity to be a superintendent in uh, the mountains in Colorado and spent four years as a school superintendent. And after, after stepping out of that role, that's when I've moved into the work I do now with uh, with Road to Awesome, which uh, you know you mentioned your your mission. I'll tell you our mission at Road to Awesome is uh, to uh, cultivate leaders by um, elevating uh, elevating voices and promoting positivity. So my work is all about getting into schools, lifting educators up, letting them know the work they do really matters, and helping to grow leaders so that. Uh, we stop losing teachers and we stop losing educators and we start keeping people in this incredible profession. Mm, nice, man. You have a lot of experience, a lot of good stuff, a lot of good stuff that we're going to yeah. dive into today, man. I'm really excited. So I always like to ask out of all the majors, why education? Why did you, why did you choose education? <laughs> you know, that's a great question. And, and actually, um, like many, I feel like education chose me. Um, I actually started my my college pathway uh, focusing on uh, physical therapy. So, as a high schooler, um, I was I was a tennis player and a basketball player. Um, I was a very good tennis player. I was on the basketball team. Um, I was not a very good player. Um, you know, I had a great view sitting next to my coach, which is why I think I chose to go into coaching. But I was. I was injured all the time in basketball. I, I just was one of one of the kids that just always ended up 
um, with, with something, you know, a quad injury or an ankle injury or whatever. And I spent a lot of time in the, in the trainer's office. And so, um, actually being in the trainer's office and seeing what he did really was kind of, kind of where I first started. I was like, I want to be a high school athletic trainer. I think this is an incredible job. You get to be around the kids. You get to, you know, be a part of the teams. I think this would be great. And, um, that lasted for about a semester and, <laughs> like like many um, college students who weren't really prepared to go to college, um, I probably enjoyed the college life a little more than I should have, and actually quit school um, after uh, after a year, and uh, ended up going back uh, about a year later. Realized that retail sales was not what I wanted to do with my life, and uh, went back to college. And a friend of mine, a uh, guy that I had a couple of classes with um, at uh, at the university. Just grabbed me one day and said, "Hey, I know you you played basketball in high school. Um, I got asked to coach this basketball team. Would you come help me? Because I really don't know what I'm doing." And so I go to practice, and two things were totally evident. Number one, he was right. He didn't know what he was doing. Um, it, the, he was a wrestler. You know, the the wrestlers versus basketball thing goes on. You know, for for eons. But he really didn't know know what he was doing. And the second thing that was evident was I was hooked. Um, you know, within a couple practices, I was back um, talking to my advisor at the university and just saying, hey, here's what I want to do. I, I, I want to go into education. I want to teach. I want to be a basketball coach. Um, you know, and, and, and here's the thing, man. It was fifth grade girls. So it's not like I was coaching like super high level basketball, but I was hooked and that's that's what led my path into education. It's it's kind of a crazy journey, but that's how it worked out. Mm, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So talk a little bit about your first few years of experience in education. Like, yeah, your basically your first few years of education. Like, how was that? If you can sum it up. You know, it's crazy. So um, when I when I got hired for my first job, so like I said, I was in Arizona. And uh, I actually got hired over the phone. I mean, so this is way, way before Zoom, you know, um, I had a phone interview and I uh, got hired over the phone. I was told I was going to teach seventh grade life science and I get to the school. Um, I got there about, I don't know, a week and a half before I was supposed to report, you know, get moved into the apartment, you know, that kind of stuff. And I go down and, and I meet the principal in person for the first time, who, by the way, still to this day is somebody I'm very close with, one of the best leaders that was ever around. And um, get to see her about a month ago. But anyway, um, she tells me, you know, hey, you're going to teach eighth grade science. And I'm like, uh, okay. And, and and here came the next one. You're also going to teach eighth grade math. Oh, wow. Dude, I had, I, had no, I had no business teaching math. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I mean, <clears throat> I like struggled to get through geometry and algebra too. I mean, there's no way. But but I did. I, I taught one section of eighth grade math that first year, and and actually, you know, one of my students ended up winning the the math curriculum award, which was crazy. I'm sure it had nothing to do with me and everything to do with her. But uh, um, yeah, so so those first those first three or four years, um, it was it was a very vertical learning curve. Um, you know, I I think I learned probably probably two or three really important lessons, and and one is the power of relationships that, you know, the most important thing is to build relationships with your kids and to build relationships with the staff members around you. Um, because 
you know, those are, those are the people that you're with every day. And, um, if you're not willing to put in the time and and there were some people I worked with that, that weren't willing to put in the time or didn't try to build relationships. And, um, that, that was evident in how, how successful they were in working with the kids. Um, you know, the, the second thing that, that I think I learned is you never say no. Um, always be willing to, to take a chance. Um, I, I got asked to, to help coach the baseball team that year. And I mean, baseball kind of was the same thing as basketball. Yeah, I was on the team, but you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really that good of a player, but, um, it was another opportunity to spend time around kids and to support kids and to help them. And, um, you know, every one of those experiences that I had just helped me be that much better of an educator. So Mm. those are probably the biggest things. I mean, there's, as a long time ago, it's kind of a blur, but, but there are a lot of positive things there related to, uh, just, yeah, just saying yes and, and building relationships with people. Yeah, building relationships with people. I think that's pretty interesting, man. That is a common thing that I've been hearing lately, relationships. Those are really important, as I can see. So now that you mentioned that, kind of walk us through how did you climb up the ladder to assistant principal, principal to a superintendent? Because I know superintendents, like, that's like the big, the big shoes of, of the school district. Yeah. So kind of walk yeah. us through that. That's sure. Pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I said you never say no. And so um, I got the opportunity uh, late in the time that I was a junior, a junior high school teacher to coach um, the high school boys tennis team. And that kind of got my my foot in the door with the high school. But it also connected me with with a couple of people who were doing their master's degrees in educational leadership. And it wasn't necessarily a, a field that I thought I wanted to go into, but having some conversations with them and, and spending some time around them gave me, you know, a little bit more insight into, you know, what does it really mean? Um, those who don't don't really look into it or think about it or, or ultimately go into it, um, at, at least at the time, you know, I, when I decided I want to go in that direction, I heard things like, you know, oh, you're going to cross over to the dark side or, oh, you're going to abandon us and you're going to go be one of them and um, – what I wanted to make sure I was able to do was really bridge that gap between administration and uh, and classroom teachers, because at least at that time, uh, and I think it's probably still true in some places now, there was a divide between being an administrator and being a teacher. You know, it was almost, you know, as if, you know, you know, you're leaving us to go join another team. And, and that's that's really not the truth. But um, but I never got the opportunity to actually be an administrator in that community. Um, late, late in my time there, I'd completed my master's degree there, um, which honestly starting to chase the master's degree came from somebody asking me to take on a student teacher. And I said, yes, sure. I'll have a student teacher. Well, part of the bonus there was some, some classes paid for, uh, through, uh, Northern Arizona university where I got my master's degree mm-hmm. that kind of got me started, you know? So, but, uh, but anyway, uh, long story, uh, made a little bit shorter, my wife and I had decided we wanted our daughter to grow up around aunts and uncles and cousins and, you know, grandparents and that kind of stuff. So we wanted to go back to to our home state of Wyoming. And I applied at a few different positions. And, you know, there was a, there was a position in Rock Springs and I ended up getting this position, um, which was really exciting. It was not the place that I thought I was going to be going. I was looking at other places. And once I interviewed for that job, I was like, this is, this is where I have to be. I want to be in this school. 
And uh, I had two different positions uh, while I was there as assistant principal. The first one was discipline and attendance. And, and I'll tell you that in every position that you have an opportunity to take on, you're always looking, or at least I was always looking to find a way to make it better. Um, honestly, man, being in charge of discipline and attendance, discipline and attendance can be the worst job in the world if you choose to let it be. Because it's all about going and catching people doing things wrong and, you know, using punishment to gain compliance. And I wanted to see us change the culture of our school. We were really good at catching people doing things wrong. And it was, you know, it it was a staff meeting we were in where where somebody said, you know, hey, what if what if we start focusing on the things they do right instead of things they do wrong? And that allowed me to kind of shift that role, you know, and instead of looking for all the negatives. And yes, there were still some there. And yes, we still had, you know, policy violations and there were consequences, but it wasn't just about, you know, me going and and hiding in a hallway to catch kids skipping class. It was, it was about being at the front door and greeting people and calling them by name and making them feel welcome and changing the culture of our school. Um, That led to a couple of years later being, uh, being moved into another assistant principal role in the same building where I was in charge of culture or uh, rather, um, uh, curriculum and instruction and being able to lead the development of of three really, really amazing career academies in our school really also helped to transform the culture of our school. So doing that work, saying yes to those opportunities ultimately led to the opportunity with when the principal position was open, I applied and uh, and I was fortunate enough to to land that position and, you know, spent six years as as a high school principal and just continued to you know, focus on how do we, how do we improve our school? You know, when I, when I first got to the school, the graduation rate was like 69%. When I left, it was 84%. When I got there, average daily attendance was like 84%. When I left, it was in the, it was in the mid nineties. You know, how do we continue to build people up to make our, our school feel like a place where everybody is seen and heard and loved. And by concentrating on that and focusing on that, and really building that impactful culture, it put me in a position where, you know, I felt like, you know, I had done everything I could at that school. It was ready to, I was ready to take that next step. And and so in, uh, in 2017, um, I started looking for some superintendent positions and was fortunate enough to land one, uh, like I said, in Colorado and was in that role for four years. So I think it, it goes back to what I said earlier. It's say yes to things, be willing to take on challenge. Yeah, saying yes to the opportunity. I like that. Saying yes to the opportunity. Um, so I know that you mentioned about you. You you stated that you were the assistant principal for curriculum and instruction. Mm-hmm. I always I always hear about curriculum and instruction, but I'm just curious to know as to what does that really look like. Are you are you just implementing yeah. curriculum, making sure that they that the teachers are teaching what they're supposed to be teaching or what does that, what does that look like? Man, it was an all encompassing role. I mean, it really was in in so many ways. I was the instructional leader of the entire, of the entire campus. And I mean, we had, you know, about a hundred teachers on staff, 110, something like that, you know, 1500 kids. And um, so I, I used to say that if it happens in the classroom and it's not discipline, that it's me, that I'm the one who's going to, I'm going to work with that. So some of it was, you know, working with, 
staff to lead the process of uh, building our curriculum maps and keeping those those updated and being real clear on the process that we're going to use. Like I said earlier about you know the, the the implementation of the career academy. So I mean that was that was large scale planning and and actually a, like a strategic uh, shift in our school, moving from just traditional. Um, comprehensive high school model to a school within a school, actually three schools within a school with those academies. Um, so a lot of that work was was research and staff development, um, the planning, the implementation of that. Um, I had a lot of, uh, I had my hands a lot in everything to do with special education in our building, um, the IEP process, the 504 process, um, Man, I did so many other things in that role. Um, uh, master scheduling, um, it, development of new courses, um, and and yes, definitely, you know, ensuring that we are, you know, teaching the curriculum we say that we're teaching, that we're following through, and and utilizing the programs that we've put in place to fidelity. Um, evaluating teachers, providing support, feedback. Like I said, tons of stuff with professional development. Um, it was honestly, it was a really really terrific role. I mean, it really was. It's one of the roles I look back and I really loved having that opportunity. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun. It really was. Right. Right. Now that's some, that's some really good information, man. And what's interesting is, okay. So now, you know, you moved up, you were assistant principal, principal, superintendent. So you were actively pursuing these positions for the people that may not know, and this is what I'm just assuming. Um, what does the role of like for you when you were a superintendent, what did that look like? Because I, I can only imagine like you had to make a lot of big decisions. Yeah. Did you have people that you had to answer to? You know, they, like yeah. what was that? What was that process like? Sure. Like, yeah, it was it was interesting, you know, so so having led a comprehensive high school for for six years. Um, I really felt like, you know, hey, I'm ready to to now do this at the next level. And for me, like the number one thing that I wanted to be able to do by moving into the superintendent role was to really coach and grow my leaders. Um, as a high school principal, I got to to coach and grow my assistant principals. I had I had three assistant principals um, and, and several, you know, several times they would, you know, move on to addition or, or another opportunity for them. You know, several of them now are principals or even superintendents themselves. Um, but by stepping into the superintendent role, um, there was definitely a shift in, in how, um, how accountability works in you. Know, you, you, you ask, you know, who, who do you answer to, you know, as the, as a high school principal, you answer to the superintendent or in really, really big districts, maybe to an assistant soup. Um, as a superintendent, I was, I was responsible and, and, and had to answer to my board members. So it's seven board members, um, mm -hmm. elected, you know, seven elected board members that, that I had to, I, I guess, answer to, but also just work with, um, you know, the, the community where I was a superintendent was a small community. Um, we okay. had fewer kids in the entire district than I had probably in the first 12 classrooms of my school at the high school. Um, you know, we, we only had about 425 kids in the district where I was a superintendent, where, like I said, I had 1,500 kids in my high school. So um, it, was, it was an all-encompassing role. 
Um, yes, I was growing administrators. I had a brand new high school principal, so so I was working to help her grow. Um, working with my elementary principal to help him grow. Middle school, same thing. Um, but it was also working at the state level. It was building relationships with the you know the legislators that were elected, with the state department, um, with uh, all the different groups that kind of come together. The the state association, the rural education association. Um, and as a superintendent, one of the biggest things you do is you, for want of a better phrase, you fight for your kids and for your community. And that's, you know, really lobbying legislators to try to get every amount of money possible coming to your district so that you can do the things in your district you want to be able to do, you know, whether it's new programming, new curriculum, you know, retaining teachers, um, in Colorado, where I was a superintendent, one of the biggest challenges is retaining teachers, especially in the rural areas. And a lot of that has to do with, with sadly, very low pay for teachers mm-hmm. um, in the rural areas in Colorado. So that was one of the biggest challenges as a superintendent was working really hard to try and ensure that as, as a rural group, you know, not just my district, but all of our rural districts, that we were getting the funding and the support that we needed so you know, we could provide not just the basics, you know, we wanted to be able to provide, you know, excellent programming, which meant also then uh, doing a lot of work around grant writing, which I wrote a ton of grants when when I was there and and mostly successful on those grants. Um, But just finding innovative ways to to solve problems, I guess, essentially is what what my role was as a superintendent. Mm, Nice. And so we know it's crazy because I've seen a lot of different posts on social media and the news, man, it, it's been crazy. It is. I want to know, I want to know, and I'm pretty sure the people would like to know when it comes to teachers getting raises or them receiving higher pay, is that something that the super? I know because I don't know if the principal is really in charge. Is that something that a superintendent no. has control over to say, "Hey, look, this how this is how much I want our teachers to get paid in this district." Like, how does that process work of teachers mm-hmm. getting paid more? In a sense, well, you know, ninety nine percent of the time, it's something that's going to have to either go through policy or it's going to go through a negotiated agreement. So. It isn't just as simple as the superintendent saying, hey, we're going to pay our teachers X. Um, as a superintendent, I mean, I I led pretty much every committee we had, including our salary and benefits committee. And I would make a recommendation every year to the committee and, and we would you know, have some discussion around what new monies were coming in, what our enrollment looked like, because your enrollment really is going to drive how much money you're going to have. Um, if you're given... Let's say you're given $10,000 per student from, from the state or from your own local tax base. Every single student, I mean, that's potentially, say, $10,000 or 15 or 20 or however much, you know, your particular district um, gets uh, in terms of, you know, the, the allotment, the per pupil, uh, if you will, um, amount of money that they get from, from the state, whatever state you're in. So... I would work with all of our groups just to make sure they understood, you know, here's kind of the projection of where we are. This is what we anticipate coming out of um, that particular year's legislative session to know, you know, how much more money may be coming our way. 
here is what we can afford to potentially do, you know, in the upcoming year. Ultimately, though, like I said, you know, whether it's a negotiated agreement, if if you're in a, a district that's large enough to have a union presence, or even if it's just simply policy like it was in the district where I was, um, ultimately the board is going to either approve or disapprove of what you want to do with your salary schedules. So it isn't just as simple as the superintendent saying, we're going to do this. And, you know, the, the principals typically, no, they don't, they don't really have any say at all in that. They're going to have to follow policy and negotiated agreements. Oops, sorry about that. Uh, in terms of uh, what they can do with salaries. Mm, that's, that's pretty interesting to know because I know that's like a, a hot topic right now that's going on. Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. It's, it's way too low. No matter what state you're in, it's way too low. Um, and, and I think it ties directly in with the challenge that we're seeing across the country right now in terms of the amount of respect actually paid to educators. Um, and I'm not talking dollars and cents. I mean, just overall, the, the view that people have of educators, the respect that educators deserve, which they're nowhere, nowhere near getting the respect that they deserve right now. Um, the, the truth is that um, our educators are doing incredible things, and we do need to pay them a lot more, um, bring them up to a level where they're being paid in a comparable way to someone else who may have a you know minimum of a bachelor's degree or beyond uh, in their chosen field. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a hot topic, and, and yeah. it probably won't cool down anytime soon. <laughs> probably not. Not right now. But um, that's pretty interesting, man. So... I know that you have a podcast yourself and do. You, you specialize in, in talking about leadership, man. And I, and I definitely do want to dive in a little bit deeper into mm-hmm. what does it really mean to to be a leader? So kind of, I guess, kind of walk us through the first thing is kind of walk us through what is your podcast about and what inspired you to do education consulting? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the podcast is titled the Leaning into Leadership podcast. Uh, It launched in January. Um, We just, uh, as we're recording right now, we just dropped uh, episode number 19 this week. Um, It's a podcast that's that's focused on leaders. Uh, It's focused on understanding that we can lead from where we are, regardless our our position, our title, uh, the experience we have, that each of us as an individual has the ability to lead from where we are. And Um, I've structured this podcast as kind of a hybrid where I have individual episodes where it's just me talking and honestly sitting right where where, where you see me right now, um, you know, talking about whatever the topic is that that I've I've chosen for that particular week. And then it's blended with with a number of interviews. Uh, And right now I'm focusing on um, educational leaders. So I've had I've had people from a lot of different uh, stations, if you will, or positions in in education that have been on. Uh, most recently, I had a superintendent from Iowa that was on the the podcast episode nineteen, which was Barb Schwaman, and like her pod, like her episode, um, each one I, I just want to dive into what it is that that individual leader really values, and, and the reason for that is. To me, one of the most important elements of leadership is clarity. You know, when we think about being in the classroom, we think about one of the most impactful things is teacher clarity. Um, Mm. The same thing is true about leadership. 
if leaders are not clear about what they value, about what's important to them, if they're not clear about what it is that they expect and that they want to see, then it makes it very difficult for classroom teachers and and those who support the classroom teachers to hit those targets. And so um, I love having the opportunity to hear each of my guests talk about what really matters to them, because we're all going to value things differently. And that's going to be driven not only by ourselves, but by the communities that we that we serve and the experiences that we have. So that's the big focus of the podcast right now. As I move into season two, which we're just a few episodes from wrapping up season one, and then we'll we'll launch season two about a month after season one ends, I'm going to start to branch it out a little bit further. Because to me, leadership is leadership, whether we're in education or we're in the business space, we're in the, the healthcare industry, we're um, you know, more uh, in, the, in the public service or the political space. Leadership is leadership. There's so many great, consistent elements that run through that. And we tend in education to get stuck in our silos and think only about you know, what it is that we're doing specifically inside of education. I had an incredible opportunity a couple of years ago when I was a superintendent. We were developing, and this was a statewide program. There were, there were uh, I think, eight or nine school districts that were a part of this. And we were developing some really good, intensive school-to-work pathways for kids where kids really got an opportunity to, to see the different career paths that were out there, go and experience them, but not just through like a job shadow, but really getting kids, you know, that exposure and that experience in, in, uh, in different areas. And one of the districts in, the, in, in this program, their superintendent's fantastic, but they had a business leader who was really driving the program. He's an executive at Boeing. And just sitting and having conversations with him about leadership in the work he did, to me, it was just, it was just mind-blowing and yet at the same time reaffirming that good leadership is good leadership. So as we move into season two with the podcast, having those, those people who are in other spaces that are excelling in leadership, we can all learn from each other. So that's kind of where we're going with that. And I, I think you can probably hear it in my voice and, and because you can see me as we're recording, you, you can see it in, just in my gestures. I'm really passionate about leadership. Um, to me, it is one of the absolute most important things. And, you know, we've experienced over over the last, you know, two or three years, some really good leadership, and we've experienced some extremely poor leadership. And in the absence of good leadership, people will flounder and they'll struggle. And it leads to conflict and it leads to really a lack of direction. So as I look at, and this was a big part of why I stepped out of my superintendency and into the consulting world is I want to help leaders get that focus back, get back to what truly matters to them as individuals, make sure that the people around them know and understand what matters to them as individuals. And then we regain the focus and kind of hit that North star again of where is it that we're trying to go in a given school or, or even in a business, if I'm, if I'm consulting with a business. As leaders, we've just got to really be clear about what we're trying to do. If we do that, that leads to success. So that's, that's really where I'm at. And that's really, you know, the, the passion that has driven not only the podcast, but also the work that I'm doing. Yeah. So when you talk about leadership, 
Now, I want to ask this. Was that the first, when you had that conversation with that business leader, mm-hmm. was that that first aha moment for you where you where Don Don't You saying, dang, leadership, this is this is what this is what's really important. This is what really matters. Or was it something beforehand? Oh yeah, it, it was. Oh, it does, it does. And and I would tell you that um, that wasn't the uh, that was an aha moment, but that wasn't the aha moment. Um, you know, I'll go back to well, there's a handful of incidents, but the but the thing that I'll I'll single out would be my first year as a building principal. So I mentioned, you know, I had the two assistant principal jobs in the same building where I became principal. Right. My my principal office was 40 feet down the hallway from my assistant principal office. And man, it might as well have been 400 miles. The difference in the two roles was unbelievable. Everything Mm -hmm. from what I was responsible for to the way that parents and community members spoke to me. I mean, it was like all of a sudden I was raised to this different level. And, And I'll tell you that that was a problem for me, not immediately and only upon reflection, but I, I fell into this trap that so many leaders fall into. And, and that trap is that it's all about me. You know, it, uh-huh. I, I got it in my head that I had to have the answers to everything. I had to be the all knowing. I had to be everything in that role. I had to be Superman. And it took a year and a new superintendent coming in and that superintendent saying, I'm hiring leadership coaches for all of my principals. Some were not very happy about it. I was because I felt like my first year I just was breathing through a snorkel. I could never get my head above above water. And and sitting down and having some conversation with that person, his name's Tom, that was my leadership coach. He he told me once, and it was the first time he came and spent time at my building. He was there many, many times. But the very first day that he was there, we met in the parking lot at like 630. And... Before we got from the parking lot to my office, school didn't start till eight o'clock. I had probably been stopped by seven or eight teachers, by four or five students. My my push board outside of my office had probably 20 notes pinned on it. My secretary needed me. I had a group of angry parents um, waiting to talk to me. And I managed to get through all of this. And... Then I turned around and and he's not even there. I'm like, what's going on here? I mean, this guy's supposed to be here coaching me. What, what's going on? Yeah. And I found him in I found him in a classroom later that day, and he's like, let's go, let's get in the classroom. And I'm like, Tom, do you not see what I've been dealing with? I mean, can't we like? I figured we were going to sit down and have a cup of coffee and like shoot the breeze and you know talk leadership. And he's like, no, let's get to work. And at the wow. end of that day, I'll never forget. At the end of that day, he said to me, he's like. Darren, you have a lot of people around you. You have a team around you. You know, you you have this belief that you need to be Superman, but your superintendent didn't hire Superman. He hired you. You need to be you. And you need to you need to stop being a firefighter and start being a leader in your school. And part of that means get yourself in classrooms. You need to be visible. You need to be giving support to your people. All that other stuff. All the, the the notes on your board and the angry parents and the delegate that to your assistants. That's why you have them. You don't have to do it all. And that was the moment when, and honestly, that was really the moment when way, way back in reflection, I probably was switched 
into this mode of, as a leader, it's my job to grow people. It's my job to support people. It's my job to lift them up. And it's not about me. So when, when I fast forward now to this conversation with this business person, um, it was reaffirming uh, the yeah. things that over time had been continued to, uh, to be driven into my head. I mean, that, that first year as a principal, I was a mess. Mm. By year five, year six, things were going great. We had, we, you know, like I said, I mean, with the, the data alone, our grad rate, our uh, assessment scores, our attendance rates, our enrollment, I mean, everything was, was going in the right direction and was really starting to, to increase. The culture of our school was way different. But me, in, in that first iteration as a principal, the, the firefighter guy, we would have never gotten there. Um, I needed, I needed somebody from the outside. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's, that's probably the moment that stands out. No, that's some good stuff, man, because I've, I've come to a realization and not like just maybe in education, but just generally speaking, a lot of leaders do think that they have to have all the answers and they have to do everything. And that's, that's just some good insight. So after after that day you spent with that leadership coach, you talk about that, you know, basically the whole dynamic of the school changed pretty much. So what was, what did that leadership coach tell you to really focus on after like, after the delegating the tasks mm-hmm. to the different people, like right. what, what did your energy shift? Like, like what did that look like in terms of leading the school? <laughs> like you, like, yeah, it was interesting. Um, so much of it came back to what's happening in each individual classroom. Um, and, and even though, you know, I only formally supervised, if you will, you know, evaluated 25% of my teachers, I needed to be in everybody's classroom because, you know, as, as the principal, I need to be able to, to answer a question if somebody asks about this teacher or that teacher and, and not to say, oh, well, I don't supervise that teacher. It's so-and-so who does that. And, what it really came down to was let's get into classrooms. Let's block time on your, on your calendar. The calendar in and of itself was huge. And I'll come back to that, but it was getting into classrooms and giving quality coachable feedback. Um, you know, we, we have this tendency in education and I know I was guilty of it, um, up to this point where, you know, the evaluation was, okay, I come to your classroom once a year or I come twice a year, you know, maybe I do a little blow by, you know, once or twice, you know, during the year, but for the most part, you never see your administrator. I really made a shift to being in classrooms as much as I possibly could. And the way that I did that was actually putting it on my calendar, you know, an hour here, an hour there that, you know, Hey, I'm going to be in classrooms and not just in classrooms, but this location in the building is where I'm going to go during this time, this location is where I'm going to go during this time and so forth. And a lot of that came from partnering with my secretary. Uh, This is, I think, an area where so many administrators make the mistake that I did. And you didn't, and I didn't really use my secretary the way that, that I could have in that, in that first year or so. Um, Ultimately she was given complete control of my calendar, complete control of my email Um, she was able to schedule time for, you know, if somebody needed to see me instead of having to track me down, 
All they had to do was go talk to Marilyn or send an email to Marilyn and boom, you got 15 minutes with me or you got 30 minutes with me or whatever it was you needed from me. But by being in the classrooms all the time, what he pushed on me was let's make sure that we are giving that third point perspective for a teacher. You know, when, you, when you're in the classroom and you're leading the classroom, you only see what you see, you know, and the students only see what they see. But but having that third person, if you will, in the room to give feedback on classroom management or on lesson design or lesson delivery or wait time or, or whatever it was, it, it was all about giving them the opportunity to keep growing and perfecting their craft as teachers. And when I was able to commit to that, then what that meant was the rest of my team, they were taking on the day-to-day operations kinds of things. And, you know, my job was to go take care of my teachers and obviously take care of my kids. And the more I did that, the more visible I was, the more present I was, and honestly, the more plugged in I was leading my school. So when people ask, you know, hey, is this happening in your school? I could honestly say yes or no, because I was in the rooms as much as possible. It made a huge Mm -hmm. difference. And that was probably the biggest piece of advice that he gave me outside of quit being a firefighter was, you know, get in the classrooms. You need to be in there seeing what's happening, giving feedback and helping them grow because Mm. that's where people are going to ask you questions. Mm. Mm. And for the viewers out there, any leaders out there, especially that's, that's some tangible advice that a principal can take with them tomorrow at um tomorrow at school, you know. Yeah. So, uh, so I hope that uh, you guys are definitely taking some notes on that one because that was some that was some good gems for sure. So now that you now that you have a leadership consulting business, walk us through what does that look like in terms of you. In terms of you coaching leaders, necessarily, like, Mm -hmm. do you meet with them one on one? Do you identify the weakness? Like, how does that normally go when you coach your leaders? Well, to be honest with you, it's it's very much focused on what is it that that individual leader uh, leader needs. So, you know, it's not just a simple, you know, canned program. We're going to do this. Then we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Um, There are multiple ways that I serve leaders and leadership teams. Um, one of the one of the big ones is working with an entire leadership team. Um, mm. We have through through Rodasim, we have uh, something called high performance leadership teams, which is it's a it's a two day leadership workshop that teams can schedule during the summer, during a retreat time for them, during you know maybe a you know a, a break or something during the year, where. I'm going to come in and we're going to we're going to fully customize this to what does this particular school team need? You know, are they, you know, are they all new into the role or they're just a couple of new ones into the role and really digging into first and foremost, you know, what's important to them? You know, let's make sure we have that clarity so that as a collective team, we all know what we're focused on. We all have an idea of how we're going to get there. We've got clear goals, we've got clear action steps. We're making sure that the behaviors that we exhibit as leaders are aligned with what we say we want to see happening. Um, sometimes there's a big disconnect between leadership behaviors and what leaders say, and, and we can't have that. Um, that that can be just as destructive to culture as as virtually anything. So that's one of the ways is working with them as a collective team and then doing follow up, um, whether that's virtual or on site during the course of the year. You know, coming back. 
once a month um, and continuing to coach and give feedback. Another way that I work with leaders is just meeting with them in one-on-one coaching scenarios where I have, you know, as an example, I have um, a leader who's new to his role this year and he came out of the classroom and into an elementary principal role and he and I meet once a week and we spend some time just having conversation about, you know, number one, how are things going? Number two, what are the things that he's struggling with? You know, and number three, how are we continuing to stay on track with the goals and things that we want to get accomplished during the course of the year? Um, having been a principal, having been a system principal, having been a superintendent, um, I know what those milestone events are during the course of the year. So being able to help coach them around, you know, those those early early days in the school year, you know, the those those parts of the year when, you know, we're starting to have parent-teacher conferences or evaluations are starting to come, uh, budget development is starting to come, professional development, planning, hiring, scheduling, all of those things, because that's an area that I have the experience, we can have some deep conversation around those. And honestly, my, my job is not to tell them what to do. My job is to listen to them, to ask them what they might want to do, and give them some feedback and let them really think it through so that ultimately they're they're doing a good job of servicing the people they're supposed to be leading. Mm, mm, most definitely. That's some good stuff, man. And I know you mentioned, I had a question. I know you mentioned something about with behavior. I wanted you to kind of explain a little bit what you, mm-hmm. what you mean. You said leadership behavior or something along mm-hmm. the lines of that. What did you mean yeah. by that? Yeah. So so I think this is true as leaders and it's true as, as classroom teachers that – we have to ensure that the work that we're doing, the steps that we're taking, the the way that we carry ourselves is consistent with what we say we value and what our goals are as a school. Um, simple example. Um, if we're focused on engagement in the classroom and if we're focused on ensuring that our students are dialed in, we need to make sure that we're giving feedback to our teachers about what we're seeing for engagement. But then when we're in meetings, we better be engaged. You know, if if my expectation is that, yeah, if my expectation is in the classroom that our students are engaged, you know, and then I go into a classroom and I'm, I'm doing an observation and I'm texting on my phone or something that, that flies contrary to what, what we're saying as leaders, it can't be, Oh, well, I'm the principal. So it's okay. No, Our behaviors have to be consistent. If we're part of a leadership team, if we have a shared agreement around how when when somebody comes and asks for whatever, this is how we're going to handle that, we have to be consistent. Because otherwise, you know, if, if let's say it's myself and one assistant principal, if we have a teacher asking for something and my assistant says no, and then I say yes, I'm undermining my assistant or vice versa. You know, if the assistant says yes and I say no. We have to make sure we are all clear on what we're going to do, how we're going to handle situations. And then, yeah, we need to be willing to check each other and give each other feedback of, you know, hey, right now your behaviors don't align with what we're trying to do. And those mm. those shared accountability pieces, that ability for even if I'm the principal and one of my APs sees me doing something that, hey, that doesn't fit with it. They need to know they're empowered to say, Darren, this this doesn't fit, dude, you know. You're in a classroom, man. You got you got to be dialed in. If you need to be on your phone, then leave the classroom. 
you know, mm. model the behavior you expect. I used to have a handful of teachers who were, uh, <laughs> they loved to catch kids with their cell phones in the classroom. And inevitably, we would go into staff meetings and they were the worst ones in the room for being on their cell phones. And <laughs> Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean. I, I rem- yeah. I, I, when I tell this story, I remember so vividly one individual whose name I will I will definitely not use, but of course. with with this person, the leader in the building of catching kids with their cell phones, sitting playing I don't know, you know, Candy Crush or something right in front of me in a staff meeting, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? You know, you you would crucify a kid in the classroom for what you are doing in this very meeting." So. Our behaviors have to align. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I just did a little proximity control. And after the meeting, I remember that person saying, you know, Darren, I didn't appreciate that you did that. And I said, well, then I want you to think about how your students feel when you do that to them. You know. Hey, Darren. You- yeah. Hey, are you still, you still there? Yeah. You got me? Yeah. You kind of fading out a little bit. Hmm. How's that? Is that all right? Am I good? Yeah, you're good now. You're good now. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of what I mean by by our behaviors. Our behaviors have to be consistent with what we say we want to see. It it can't just be, hey, you behave this way, but it doesn't matter what I do. That's that's not okay. Right, right. No, that's that's very true. That's good stuff, man. And um, we're actually about to start wrapping things up. I had I had two more I had two more questions for you. I can't think of that last. I had one question in my mind, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. So, what? Where? Where do you see? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Where do you see yourself? Yeah. Well, I'll be honest with you. I mean, you know, we just we just launched into the 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 full time coaching consulting, and we actually run a small publishing company too, all under the name Road to Awesome. And nice. I would say in the next five years, it's just continuing to see that grow. Um, you know, having left public education a year ago, or I guess I really don't even think of it as I left public education. Um, I mean, what I do right now still supports public ed, but uh, I've had people ask me, you know, hey, are you are you going to throw your name back in? Are you going to go back to being a high school principal? Are you can go back to being a superintendent. And the answer is no. Um, this work that I'm doing right now, I mean, and, and it's not just me. There are others around the country doing the same work. And it's so important that we're there supporting our leaders so we can be supporting our teachers. So I would say in five years, the, the primary goal would be that Road to Awesome itself has continued to grow. Uh, the footprint has continued to grow to where People really identify us as a true leader in the space when it comes to leadership development, when it comes to uh, educational publishing, and when it comes to um, the uh, the leadership speaking. And, and I would say, too, you know, in five years, I'd like to have probably added two more books of my own to nice. uh, to the repertoire as well. You know, I have one. Uh, well, and then I have a kid's book, too. So really, I have two books. But um I have a couple more books in my head that that probably within the next five years will be out. Oh, so those books that you have to implement in the school district already? Um, yeah. So, so Road oh. Dawson, my first book over over my shoulder, right 
there um, has been out since uh, has been out since July of 2020. And that one, honestly, that that's a leadership book. It's focused on what I thought were the six most important things for school leaders. But again, even in the book, it's not about what's important to me. It's about what's important to the reader. You know, what, what do they find important? Again, it's back to that leadership clarity piece. And then I did a children's book, um, also titled Road to Awesome. It's a, a Road to Awesome, uh, a journey for kids. And I co-published or co-wrote that with uh, Jillian Du Bois, who is an elementary school teacher in Florida. And she is the illustrator for that book. And that one was our our way of of reminding students that they have control of, of their direction as well and that they just need to be mindful of what they're packing on their journey, you know, things like kindness and understanding and um, persistence and determination and, and those types of things. So um, those are the two books that I have out right now. Nice, nice. Okay, sounds good. And what yeah. are some last words you would like to share with um, educators that may be listening right now? What are some inspiring words you can say as you know, we are going through a pandemic? Yeah. Well, I, I would say, you know, first and foremost, that the work that you do truly does matter. And there are going to be those days where it doesn't feel like it. There are going to be days where um, you're not greeted with the kindness and the appreciation that you deserve. That unfortunately, everybody is carrying around a lot of heavy baggage right now. And unfortunately, they have chosen in many cases, to point that that anger, that distrust at educators. But the truth is the work that you're doing really does matter. And sometimes we have to be willing to hang in there for the long haul to to really understand. And, and if you've been in education for, say, four or five years or more, you know, you've got those stories that you can you can lean back on. You know, the student who a couple of years down the road reached out to you and said, you know, Hey, you really made a difference for me. And here's why, um, 26 years in public ed. And, and I still have those moments. Uh, last month ran into a former student who, who I had probably 20 years ago. Um, we were at a, a memorial service for a former, uh, teacher that I had worked with a good friend. And, you know, this young man crossed the room after the service just to shake my hand and give me a hug and say, you know, Mr. Peppard, what you did for me, you know, you made such an impact on my life. And those stories are out there for every single educator. We just have to be patient. We have to have to really take a deep breath and remember that the work we do really does matter. And I, my final thought would be educators, just thank you so much for what you're doing. Hmm. Thank you for your kind words. And that is all. And thank you for your time, Darren. Hopefully we can do a part soon, soon, man. I definitely enjoyed this for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. Thank you. You just, uh, you should be able to just hit the end button on your end. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the Schoolhouse Podcast Office. Man, there was some valuable insight that was shared today. I want to leave the educators with a few words of encouragement. Man, we're, we're going through a pandemic. It is tough. 
like Darren said before, you you matter to the principals, to the superintendents, to all the leaders out there that's in the trenches leading these leading the schools. Hey, he provided some great insight. Delegate those tasks. That's why the assistant principal is there. That's why the secretary is there. You have a a staff that's willing that is willing to support you. Delegate those tasks and get 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 down with the teachers, man. Connect with them, relate to them. Be, just just be there for them. Be there for them. But it was an honor and it was a pleasure. Please share, subscribe, tell all your friends, tell all your teacher friends, tell everybody in the school community about the Schoolhouse Podcast. Because again, we are here to bring you hope. We are here to just bring light to the dark situations that educated education and educators are going through right now. And that is all I got for you guys today. And I am out. Peace.